looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Bo, thank you very much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week is no exception. Welcome, everybody. To episode 39 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. I'm your host, Jeff Dewaskin. Great to have you here. I'm so excited that you're back once again for another amazing episode. How amazing is this episode? It is so amazing. We have got the wonderful Candy Clark with us today. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Candy Clark, Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress nominee. You loved her in American Graffiti. You loved her in The Man Who Fell to Earth, and she's here, and Candy shared so many amazing stories. You're going to love it, and that's coming up in just a little bit. In the meantime, though, don't forget to subscribe to Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show, on your favorite podcast app, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, Pandora, Humbly, Podchaser, whatever your podcast listening device of choice is. Subscribe and also do me a favor. I would love it if you shared your love for Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin show, with all your friends and family, whether that be in your monthly newsletter that you send out or every email, put it in your footer of your emails, whatever it is you do, you know, just slip it in there. That'd be totally cool. Every tweet, just end it with, oh, and by the way, you know, that kind of thing. That's all I'm asking. Just, yeah, that's it. Just the little small things help. Also, if you go to jeffisfunny.com, you can sign up for my main mailing list, extensive mailing list where I just email great stuff out. So sign up for that. If you want to buy me a coffee and support the show, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash Jeff Dewaskin show. All these amazing things that you can do to show your support. I appreciate it. And I look forward to bringing you many, many more amazing episodes of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin show. Oh, and I almost forgot. Don't forget to mark your calendars every Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time for Jeff Dewaskin Presents Crossing the Streams. It's a live show, an actual live show we do every Wednesday on YouTube. Just search out The Jeff Dewaskin Show on YouTube or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Jeff is funny. We stream live and it's interactive. We talk about great TV shows you should be streaming. And then you guys chime in and we talk to you guys while we're doing the show and you give your opinion and we try and convince you to watch it or tell you not to watch it. Sometimes you never know. But it's a great show. So mark your calendar. That's every Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Crossing the Streams. And now it's time for the social media tip. Okay, I got a real cool quick tip for you on Twitter. Sometimes you're tweeting something and maybe you don't want to hear anything from the peanut gallery. So I dug a little bit more into this. I don't know if I've mentioned it in the past, but you can limit who replies to your tweet. So what that means is normally when you tweet, anyone can reply to the tweet. But now you can actually change that setting. You can change the setting from everyone can reply to only people you follow can reply to a tweet that you tweet. And the other option is only people that you mention in the tweet. So in the tweet, you might say, hey, at Big Macher, what's going on with you? And then only Big Macher, that's me, can actually respond to that tweet. If you want to have a one-on-one conversation with someone, that's how you would do it. But really, If you want to have a one-on-one conversation with someone, DM them. So this really would just be if you're trying to get someone's attention, maybe who's not following you, 
and you just want them to notice you. This might be good if you're doing something controversial and you don't want trolls to bug you. But in general, I don't know. I think if you're going to be on Twitter, you need to uh, open it up and take what comes because that's the type of platform it is. And that's the social media tip. One of the amazing things that keeps me going each and every week is when I receive letters, notes, emails from all of you out there, my fans. Thank you. I received this one note recently, and I thought it was extremely, extremely touching. And it read, Dear Jeff, recently I had a hole in my heart. And upon listening to a recent episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin show, you showed me how I could fill that hole and make my life great again. Your ad for kitchen tables last week changed my life. For years, I've lived with the kitchen, not knowing what was missing until I heard your ad for kitchen tables. Realizing a kitchen table is just what I needed, I bought one, and my life has never been the same. Now we have a place to eat, people come over and they have a place to put their keys down. It has changed my life, and forever, live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show will have a place in my heart. Thank you on behalf of my entire family. Signed, your fan forever, Fred. Well, thank you, Fred. That means a lot. And I'm going to save this letter and frame it and cherish it forever. This week's sponsor, Old Harbor Whiskey. That's right, Old Harbor Whiskey. If you need a pint of whiskey, you need Old Harbor. Available at any liquor store. Just go in, tell them that you heard about them from Live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show, and you'll be eligible for the Old Harbor Whiskey Cruising Pack. That's right. An exclusive from the Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show, the Old Harper Whiskey Cruising Pack. You get a pint of Old Harper, three musketeer, a ballpoint pen, comb, beef jerky, and a couple flashlight batteries. You'll be the envy of everyone on the strip. All right, that's cool. So definitely check that out. That's available across the country. Just uh, don't forget to mention uh, Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show to get the full cruising pack. You won't regret it. You know what else you won't regret? Listening to this amazing conversation I had with Candy Clark. All right. I'm excited to welcome to the show actress Candy Clark. You know her from American Graffiti and The Man Who Fell to Earth. So excited to have you here, Candy. Welcome to the show. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. I'm excited too. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Someone to talk to. If you're listening at home, just grab an old Harper and drink yeah. along with us. Kick back. <laughs> I totally wanted to start out by going, you look exactly like Connie Stevens. Really? I thought I looked like Sandra D. <laughs> hey, if you do my podcast, I'll let you touch the upholstery. I mean, feel it. I mean, uh, <laughs> want to get in the back seat? <laughs> Oh, man. I love to talk about American Graffiti. All right. Such an iconic movie. Well, maybe first, how did, you, how did you get into acting? You started as a model, right? So how did you make the transition from modeling to acting to landing the role in American Graffiti? Well, I went from modeling to extra. I did an extra thing on a film called Who is Harry Kellerman? And why is he saying those things about me? It was a Dustin Hoffman film. And I was in the crowd scene of about, I don't know, 200 people. And we just went through this revolving door all day long and came out as a crowd. And there was Dustin Hoffman. And, you know, it was really neat. I really liked it. Plus, they had a table full of donuts and stuff. And mostly you sat around and then you would do this crowd scene. So I went back to the casting director that had given me this crowd scene part. 
And I said, I want to do more of this extra work. But while I was there, there was a, another casting man. This was in New York City. There was another casting man named Fred Roos. I was introduced to him and Fred said, hey, you want to come with me to watch him do the screen test for The Godfather? And I said, sure. <laughs> that was back when you would just walk off with a stranger and not think a thing of it. I wound up going to watch them. Uh, the place was in Queens. And I went day after day and hung out with Francis Coppola and watched Jimmy Kahn and all these actors, you know, shoot their screen tests for The Godfather. It was just kind of, you know, right place at the right time. And I really enjoyed it. And Francis was really nice to me. And he and I kind of worked out this little thing. I had a, a long cape that I wore all the time and a hat. And we worked out this thing where he was pretending to crank me down. And so I would bend my knees and my feet would disappear. And then he would crank me back up. Anyway, he almost lost the Godfather because the uh, producers... When he sent the dailies in, he had left this, this silly little dopey thing at the end of the reel of his screen test. And he told me later that they almost fired him for, you know, shooting frivolous stuff. And But that was how I kind of got my start. And then Fred Roos remembered me and started calling me. Uh, he was the one that brought me out to watch the screen test. And he was the casting person. And he started calling me to try out for this part in this film called Fat City. And I said, no, I just want to be an extra. I don't want to do any acting, you know. And it involved memorization. And I was always a very poor student in school. I even had a hard time doing a book report. Remember, you had to get in front of the class? Well, maybe you didn't have to because you're a lot younger and prettier than me. But anyway, I kept refusing. And then he said, oh, just come out to California and try out. And I went and I tried out. And I, after I did this scene, which was very complicated, I had no idea about acting. I just kind of read the scene. Didn't act it, just read it. And then as I was walking to the elevator, they said, you're going to have to come back for a screen test. And I just remember saying, no, I just want to be an extra. And so the next thing I know, I flew back out to California, did a screen test. I remember I was up against Margot Kidder and another actress named Jennifer Saul. There was Jeff Bridges and I got the part and I got a boyfriend that day, <laughs> Jeff Bridges. Nice. <laughs> and he and I were together for three or four years of wonderful years. But yeah, it was just something I fought but they won out and I was really happy they did. I can't imagine going back and continuing the modeling career after a certain age, you know, it's kind of over in that department. I could have been an extra, I guess, for forever. And that's the story of how I got my start. And it was a film, a John Huston film called Fat City. Great film. Was the connection to Francis Ford Coppola that led you to American Graffiti? He produced it, right? No, Fred Roos wound up being the casting director on that. Oh. Yes. And then he had me try out. And I thought it took place in the 50s. So I wasn't. I had done Fat City, and I had only done one little TV thing in between that and my audition for American Graffiti. I was always very bad at auditioning, so I wasn't having any luck, but I did a room 222 in between. And then when it came time to meet George Lucas, 
I thought, well, I'm just going to dress up in a 1950s outfit. I heard the movie took place in the 50s. And so I was the only one dressed in costume waiting in the lobby, was so embarrassed. And then I went in and met George. He didn't say anything. He's a very quiet man. A couple of weeks went by and I had read the script. And I asked my manager, Pat McQueen, I said, you've got to send me back. I love this script. I really, I did, I get it. She said, well, they don't ever want to see anyone after they've seen them and rejected them and turned them down. I didn't get past first base. But anyway, I went back. I dressed as myself and there was, went back and saw George Lucas. I didn't mention that I'd been there before. The next thing I know, I was asked to do a screen test. And it was take the screen test took place at Haskell Wexler's commercial shooting house called Dove Film. There was about 200 actors there waiting to try out for parts. Very nerve wracking. And I remember seeing Judy Strangis from Room 222. And I was for sure she was going to get the part. Then I finally went in and they called my name. You know, I was there for hours. Call my name and I go back into this little alcove. And there's a park bench. I meet Charles Martin Smith, who's playing Toad. And there's George Lucas, and he's got like a little video camera made out of plastic, real, you know, it was a low-budget film. Charlie and I had this scene where it says, Buenos dias, Buenos noches. And then, you know, and I say, really? I thought I looked like Sandra D. And, you know, we did that scene. And I knew I wasn't going to get the part. I just knew it because Charlie was so much shorter than I am. We were going to play a romantic couple. They always like the leading man to be taller than the lady. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm never going to get this. He's like 5'4", I'm 5'7". This looks weird. But anyway, I got it. It was amazing. I think I got it because I didn't try very hard because I knew I wasn't going to get it. Sometimes the best things come to you when you don't want them. Yeah, don't want it, can't do it. Anyway, Charlie and I, we got hired. I, He and I drove up to San Francisco in my car, my Volkswagen. We broke down in Santa Barbara, had to have the Volkswagen engine overhauled. And then we finally made it up to San Francisco. And they were saying, well, God, where have you been? Because we had <laughs> left at four in the morning to get up there. And we get there at midnight. They have like three dresses. They said, well, you got to try on wardrobe. We were exhausted. And so I tried on that blue and white stripy dress. It fit perfect. I said, this is it. This is the one. It's great. Next thing I know, we're like working. Most of the film was shot at night. Uh, we did cheat a little bit. The goat killer scene was uh, shot day for night. They just add a filter and make it look dark. But the rest of it was night shooting, 28 nights of up all night and trying to sleep in a holiday inn in San Rafael in the day, which is impossible at a hotel motel. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> People splashing in the pool and banging, slamming their car doors, not realizing the, that the actors need sleep. Anyway, it was a real challenge and I loved it. And the film took off like a rocket and became one of the best 100 films of all time in the American Film Institute lineup. Very proud of it. Was that a good answer? It was like a mile long. You brought it home. You brought it home, Candy. That was great. <laughs> so what was it like working with, you didn't have scenes with everybody, but I mean, like, I assume because you had the holiday and you were all hanging out. Oh, yeah, we all hung out. 
It was like Richard Dreyfus, Ron Howard, Cindy Williams. Everyone was great. Well, you know, we did have a few bad boys on the set, namely Harrison Ford and Paul Lamatt. <laughs> right. We'd gossip about him. You know, we'd say, what did they do last night? And you, or you would wake up and you would see beer bottles on top of the revolving Holiday Inn sign. Like, how did they get up there and put those beer bottles? Pranks like that were happening all the time. So me, Ron Howard, Cindy, you know, the the good kids <laughs> would always be gossiping about, you know, what did they do last night? Cadillac windshield got cracked. And, you know, eventually Harrison and, and Paul Lamatt got separated. And Harrison, I think, had to go to another hotel. <laughs> oh, so on-screen rivalry and then... Offstage shenanigans between them. Oh, shenanigans. Richard Dreyfus. I'm waiting for him one day to go to lunch, you know, and I'm waiting in my hotel room. He's really late. I'm like, geez. And then finally a knock at the door. I open the door. He's soaking wet with a big goose egg on his forehead. Apparently, Paula Matt and Harrison had taken him by the arm and the leg, both sides, and tossed him into the shallow end of the pool. Very foolish. But he lived. He wasn't paralyzed. I think he had to wear his hair kind of down, smooshed around to cover this lump on his forehead. But yeah, we made it through. We made it through. Ron Howard. Ron, he was a TV guy, right? And so... Yes, he was. A big TV guy, right? And so... He was our our only star, really. He was really 18. And he'd been an actor all his life since he was an a two-year-old, basically. And he was really sweet and mellow and no attitude or no stuck up, no nothing. Just, I think he was happy just to be in a movie because he'd really been in television all his life. And at that time, movies had more status than TV. Right now, TV has some pretty heavy status with HBO and Netflix and all of that. But back then, it was kind of, oh, TV. I think Ron was really happy. And he showed me a little film that he had won in the Kodak. I think he'd won second place in the Kodak student film contest. And it starred his brother. And it was one continual take. They weren't allowed to cut. It was really good. And he had brought one of those viewers where you crank it with, put your eyes up to this viewing port. And then you crank it with your hand. (laughs) I'm like, wow, Ronnie, you're really good. I know. The rest is history. A man's a superstar and did really well. He wanted me to be in his one of his movies. I think it was Eat My Dust. And, you know, I read it. I didn't care for it that much. But that was his start, I think, with Roger Corman. You know, I think it had some success, but it allowed him to go further and uh, do more movies. Seems like a lot of people got their start with Roger Corman. Roger Corman, yes. The king of low-budget films, but he'd always give newcomers a chance, and that's all they needed. I think my first Ron Howard movie was Night Shift that he did. Yes, I I think that was what he got after Eat My Dust. They could see that he could direct. And you know what? Because I turned him down, he never asked me to do another thing. Sad. Well, I hear he listens to this podcast, so he'll probably hear it and give you a call. Oh, really? Ron, <laughs> I'm sorry. Please forgive me. 
I'll do anything. I'll crawl over hot coals. Just hire me once. I'll be an extra. I think we're, I think we're putting it onto the universe. I think you're going to get a call from Ron Howard <laughs> real soon. <laughs> well, Bo Hopkins recently got a call from Ron Howard for the first time since American Graffiti. Bo is in that movie Hillbilly Elegy. Oh, right, right. He plays Pat Paul. Nice. Yes, nice. So yeah, it's funny like watching rewatching the movie now. It's hard for me like to not be looking and going, wait, Cunningham is is uh, is with Shirley and <laughs> Cindy Williams. And yeah, I know. Like, the characters it, like it has such a happy days feel. I did meet Cindy Williams once. She's very sweet. So sweet. So nice. Very nice. Very, very nice to people. What was Richard Dreyfus like? Because this is early Dreyfus. This is before Jaws. He was, you know, he's a very high energy, quick talking. But at that time, he was in a severe depression. His girlfriend had, I guess, dumped him. And he spent most of his time when he was off in his room, in his bed, I think crying for years, he would never watch American graffiti. It took him about 35 years to finally watch it because he had such bad memories of that time. And so that's, oh, that's sad. That's too bad. I know. <laughs> cause, cause in the movie he's chasing the perfect woman. Yeah. <laughs> Must've dredged up some real depression, but he never could get her either. So. Right, they had the, the one phone call at the end. Was that Suzanne Summers? Yes, it was. Who parlayed, that woman's a genius. She parlayed that little part, that little tiny part into an empire career exercise maven. And, you know, she did really well, really well from, that was her springboard to, to fame. Yeah, no kidding. I don't think she had any dialogue. She just mouthed. Uh, I love you. And that was it. She didn't even say it out loud. I didn't blame Richard Dreyfuss for chasing her around. I would have been like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, and that T-Bird wasn't bad either. It was great. Great. I assume you bonded pretty good with Charlie Martin Smith. You guys had all your scenes together. Oh, yes, we did. And I recently saw him about a month ago. Someone wanted a, a signature of Charles Martin Smith on a album that they had all the signatures except mine and Charlie's. I went over to where he lives and he came down fully masked. I took picture of me and Charlie and the album with all the signatures, put it on my Facebook page. In other times when there's not this virus going around, we see each other, you know, several times a year. He looked good. He looked great. He shaves his head. It just suits him so well. He just looks very handsome. He's a good dude. He is a good dude. Is there anyone else who you kind of stink? I mean, except for, of course, we're not going to speak of Ron Howard anymore until he calls you. <laughs> <laughs> I put it out there, Ronnie. Come on. I'm going to make, I'll make some calls. No. <laughs> well, yeah, would you? I speak to Bo Hopkins quite often. He and I have done a lot of hot rod shows and personal appearances together you know, signing autographs, etc. traveled all over with American Graffiti. So I speak to him quite often. Everyone's on Facebook, Mackenzie, Cindy. If they post, I, I always comment. I'm so glad we have these formats that we can tune in and talk to people and see what they're doing and see how they're doing. It's been really, thank you, computers. It's an amazing time to It is, to, to it's an amazing alive. time. So with the movie, I, I love the whole... It was almost like Wolfman Jack in the music was the narrator of the movie. And I, I just oh, I loved, yes. loved, loved that. I've always 
loved Wolf, Wolfman Jack. Too. Like I, it, it was like one of those things like, ah, Wolfman Jack. I hadn't thought about him in years when I was just rewatching the movie. I'm like, love Wolfman Jack. He plays such, it's such a powerful character in the movie for only having kind of like one little scene with Dreyfus later on in it. But yeah, so cool. Did you get to meet him or was he like just in that one? No, scene? I met him afterwards and got a, a signed autograph from him. But years later, there was some sort of charity uh, thing. Uh, no, I didn't meet him. He only worked that one evening. And I tell you, if you didn't have to work, you didn't show up. You just try to get some rest because we would get picked up around 4.30, start working around 6, 6 to 6 in the morning. What was George Lucas like as a director? Well, he's a very quiet person. You quickly learn because it was a low budget film that he was going to print and move to the next scene after one, maybe two takes. And so you quickly learn to get it right the first take because you know he was going to print the mistakes and just move on fast and we shot that whole thing in 28 nights with all those people and all those different locations so he was working like a you know a slave and in the day he was editing and Haskell Wexler was flying down to Los Angeles from the Petaluma San Rafael area and every day and he was working shooting commercial so at the end they got you know more and more hollowed out and tired and exhausted looking and barely even talking but we knew what we were supposed to do and we did it and you know there were a few couple of scenes that I didn't like and I wanted to redo it again and then he goes nope we're moving on because <laughs> like, ah! it's you know it's permanent once it's filmed, it's forever, mistakes and all. So it was a, a great experience. But George was very quiet and exhausted, and so was Haskell. But we made it. Was George under pressure just because he was coming off THX 1138, right? Which so. was a dismal failure, I think. So he got Gloria and Willard Hayek, and I guess he hired them. Uh, they were the writers. You know, they did a film around George's experiences in high school and people he knew. And turned out these experiences in high school were exactly what was going on in where I came from, Fort Worth, Texas, and all over the U.S. But what is really nice about this film, even in Japan, they love it. And in Sweden, they love it. They just love the cars. Mainly, they love the cars. There's so many people who love restored cars and hot rods and there seems to be hundreds of them in that movie you, you mentioned you do um shows do you ever make it to detroit to do the woodward cruise we have a big thing where yes bo and i made it to the woodward dream cruise and we were at this restaurant's dugan's pub i think it was sure oh my god i remember that show is really on its feet and it's a drive-by show there are people walking but mostly it's and what is strange about that show they let just ordinary cars go in and there's you know hot rods and collector cars and then there's a volkswagen van that's not even old it's and so it's like this mixed show and we were in parking lot of Dugan's Pub. You know, we were doing okay, signing pictures. Mostly people were drinking at a beer garden and all of this. And, you know, and then suddenly Dan Haggerty from... Oh, oh uh, Grizzly Adams. Yeah, Grizz. 
suddenly Dan Haggerty is walking past with a roll around suitcase with all his pictures in. And he says, can I sit at your table? And he kind of like takes over our table, spreads all these pictures out. Bo and I are like, whoa, what just happened? But <laughs> it was like such a strange happening of Dan Haggerty walking past and then joining our booth. It was um, a really neat show. Only did it that one time. Well, maybe when, when the world's back to normal, you'll do it again. Yes. <laughs> Woodward Dream Cruise, for anyone listening, it's just people driving slow on, on this one strip in Detroit. <laughs> yeah, and this big boulevard. They don't even stop the regular traffic. They just have it all mixed in. That's how they did it then. I don't know if they still do it that way. Oh, it starts <laughs> like a week early. People just sit out there. If, if you loved, if <laughs> your idea of, of taking three hours to go five miles is a joy, <laughs> the Woodward Dream Cruise is for you. <laughs> oh, it is packed with people. It was amazing. Yeah, as I was kind of just doing some research in my head, well, I had always thought, or may, you know, these myths that go around, you know, like uh, urban legend. I guess I always thought that Happy Days was based on American graffiti, and it turns out not true. Well, it was after Gary Marshall saw graffiti. I think this was in the works, but it wasn't quite like American graffiti. It was about some teenagers, I think. You know, Ron Howard was 18, and he was going to be acting in it. And they really changed it because I don't think they had shot anything. He was just booked to do this, you know, in between his TV series. You know, and then it kind of molded itself closer to American Graffiti. Right. So. That's, what, that's what I read. It existed before. Yes. And then after American Graffiti. Was such a hit. <laughs> it, it, morphed, it made it seem reminiscent of American Graffiti. Yes. Yes. It wasn't you know, just so people go, oh, can I rock around the clock? The font. Yeah. And, and it might have been not as vintage. You know, I don't know. I never read the original script to Happy Days. It could have been current, but then they made it more, you know, into the past. Right. You know, with the, the hoodlum, the hey, hey, hey guy and black leather and letterman jackets and all this stuff, which is reminiscent more of the 50s and 60s. It's funny when you watch the movie, it's such a different time, right? You have Mackenzie's Phillips character, who is what, 12 in the movie, just jumps out of the car, <laughs> one car and into John's car in the movie. And then they spend the whole movie together. <laughs> yeah. Just like, and you just like, go off with a stranger. I told you that Yeah. when I went off with Fred Roos and founders. Right. I mean, it was just a different time. You know, people would hitchhike and not think anything of it. And they wouldn't be murdered or serial killed. It was just like the sweeter time. So simpler times, definitely. And then yeah, and just people were nicer to each other. And you didn't have to worry if you got in someone's car, would you? you know, make it home that evening. Not like today. Okay. So let's, let's, so American Graffiti comes out. We, we mentioned it was one of the top hundred AFI films of all time, but we did not mention a certain someone getting an Academy Award nomination. Oh, a certain someone. Who was that? You. Oh yeah, that's right. Best <laughs> <laughs> supporting I have a actor. Plaque. I have a plaque that proves that I was there and I got nominated. 
Oh, do you get a plaque if you're nominated? Yeah, I got a plaque. What's it like when you hear like you were nominated for an Academy Award? It was very exciting. You know, you're like two weeks, you're getting patted on the back, hug, kiss, everybody wants to know you. You get flowers from the studio and you're the center of attention. And then the Academy Awards happens. And back then we used to dress ourselves now. You know, they have all these stylists and multi-thousand dollar gowns on. But back then you would buy your own outfit, do your own makeup, your hair, and, and show up. I remember Linda Lovelace. I was at the Academy Awards and she, remember Linda Lovelace? Oh, yes. Yeah. She arrived on, on a, like a Cinderella carriage with a horse, a horse-drawn Cinderella carriage, all dressed in white lace. So, you know, it was used to be more individual. <laughs> I remember Marlon Brando, and for a while they were boycotting, actors were boycotting the Academy Awards. And Marlon Brando sent, you know, this American Indian lady to accept the award on, or to reject the award, I think it was. And, you know, it used to be a lot more controversial and more kind of homespun. I remember I was sitting on the second row, me and Jeff Bridges, my boyfriend from Fat City, and Mm-hmm. And there was Tatum O'Neill sitting in front of me. And then Sylvia Sidney, I knew I wasn't going to win. I just, you know, you just have a feeling about things. Syl- Sylvia Sidney was sitting down the aisle from me and I was wanted to see her reaction when they announced her name. Because I figured she, she was in this movie, Summer Wishes, Winter Dreams. Oh, Linda Blair and Madeline Kahn. Anyway, so I'm looking down the aisle because I want to, as an actor, you want to see emotions and see what it's like. And I'm looking at her and they say, and the winner is Tatum O'Neill. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> this nine-year-old takes the award from Sylvia Sidney, who devoted her whole life to acting. It was like such a shocker. And there goes Tatum. She gets up on stage. She's wearing a little tuxedo. and <laughs> But it was wonderful. There was a party after, you know, the the grand party afterwards. And Oh, it was just fabulous. You have to sit there and and practice smiling. Like, okay, if you don't win, <laughs> well, Candy, you can keep the win, face. So keep the I face. Didn't have to practice. I was kind of relieved <laughs> because I had no speech. <laughs> Be like going on stage and doing a book report in front of the class. No, I'm not ready. So you did not write a speech. You were you were that. No, guy. I knew. I, I I just had a feeling that I wasn't going to win. I thought Sylvia Sidney would win. Boy, was I wrong, you know? But it's still super cool to be nominated. It was super cool. And you got a plaque. One of five people. Right, that's what I'm saying. It's, like, it's, it's a huge honor, huge honor. It is. And it's, you know, I'm a member of the Academy. And, you know, that's that's a lot of fun because you get to see screeners and screenings. And not this year. I've watched, you know, the Academy movies on my home computer which isn't quite the same as going to the theater, you know, having a hors d'oeuvre party and wine and, you know, food afterwards. So anyway, we limp along and uh, we'll be out of this soon. We'll get our vaccines and I'm very excited about that because I want out of this mess. We'll be out soon. We'll be out soon. So as I was, I was watching American Graffiti and my Amazon Fire Stick very nicely says, there is a more American Graffiti, which I didn't even yes. know. I watched it. I liked it. I thought as a sequel, it was great that they didn't try and get all of you into the same scenario again. Like That was the failure of it. People wanted more of the same. They wanted the next night. 
it was complicated. It was made into four different New Year's Eves. Yep. And people spent half the movie trying to figure out what the heck's going on. Well, maybe with time, I, you know, just, <laughs> well, I mean, at the time, when something's hot, right? And like, and like, and then they do a sequel, right? I mean, like when the Star Wars sequels, everyone's like, so, and like, you know, I remember like later episodes of Seinfeld, people were so, oh, these aren't as good. And now you watch them in any order and everyone loves every episode because they don't know what season they're watching, right? Yes. So when I was watching this, I thought, because one of the things I hate, like I loved Wayne's World, Wayne's World 2, ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like there's like, you can't capture the exact magic when the original story is a magical moment, right? That's true. And, and the actors have changed. They've lived life for a couple of years and they're not as, you know, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed as they were when they first did the first one, you know? And the reality is once people graduate, Anyone knows this from their own lives. You, everyone goes into their own thread. So like you said, and, uh, so at the end of American Graffiti, right, they say uh, John's character gets killed by a drunk driver. Oh, I was so mad. I was so mad. Terry's character is missing in action. And then uh, I think Ron Howard became uh, an insurance person. And <laughs> I, I'm blanking on uh, probably whatever Richard Dreyfuss was. But Richard Dreyfus is the only person who really didn't come back for the sequel. Everyone else was no. in there, at least for a little tiny bit. You finally got a, a scene with Harrison Ford. <laughs> right? Yes, he, he was a policeman. He's a policeman. So I imagine he just, would he just agree to come on set one day and play? I guess for George, you know. <laughs> Joe gets shot. And then, so it happens in four sequences. One year, the year where... John is eventually killed. The year where Terry's character four New Year's Eves, four separate New Year's Eves, and then you're the you're 1966. Ron Howard and Cindy Williams are, and I'm kind of like a stripper. You know, uh, the boss wants me to dance with a snake. You know, yes. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and then shoots and then the snake. <laughs> Lance, my boyfriend, breaks my heart. That New Year's Eve. You did. But it led you to a career to be a Western country singer. So. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, at the end of the sequel, do get a little blurb at the end. And, they, and, they, and we find out what happened to yeah, your Yeah, I was the new Tammy Wynette. Exactly. Well, not its classic status as the original. I thought it was each of the New Year's Eve segments has its own tone and feel to it. Yours is yes. very... Um, Ron Howard and Cindy are heading for a divorce. But you saw that happening when they were dating. They were always arguing. He never should have stayed with her. He should have in the original movie gone <laughs> to college. He should mistake. have gone off with Buddha. At least she exactly. was more fun. And then you got the whole, uh, yeah, Ron Howard is a big jerk in the sequel. He was a real jerk. I was like, <laughs> I did not, you know, you got to. You got to say, well, it's Cindy Williams, so you're like <laughs> tough, tough woman and all that kind of stuff and, and sticking her ground. She just wants a job and Ron Howard doesn't want her to work. <laughs> like, oh, my God. But then you you had a great thread, too. I mean, like um, and like yours was shot. I'm trying to think of what the word for the style was, but it had like it was like three panels. It was very, very stylistic. And I enjoy it. And then Terry's scenes, which are in Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> and then you do find out, well, they don't show John get killed. You do find out that uh, it's kind of implied in the scene, but like uh, you do find out that Terry actually doesn't die. He just deserts. <laughs> he deserts and he yeah. leaves. And I always thought he wound up in some Vietnamese village, maybe the bigger town, Ho Chi Minh City or something, running a 
some sort of gambling, I don't know, you know, something illicit because now he's in Vietnam, you know, and it's wartime in Vietnam. And, you know, a lot of black market stuff is going on. Right. Maybe we need more and more American graffiti. And it's you guys. Exactly. You stumble I'm on pushing, him and it's well, a you and you two get back together. Joe the Pharaoh got shot, but did he really die? You know, we don't know. So we can dredge him up and there's Debbie pushing him around in a wheelchair shot in the chest so he's paralyzed from the waist down or the chest down me and joe the pharaoh wind up together i right. don't know but <laughs> wait we'll call it we'll call it even more <laughs> <laughs> yeah even right. more whether you want it or not american graffiti those are fun anyone listening if you haven't seen the sequel definitely check it out it's it's, it's i think it's ambitious it, whether it's remembered as a classic or not in terms of sequels, I think it was just give it a chance. Please. Give it a chance. Give it. It was. I enjoyed it. I really did. It's got like, great music. Yeah, the music. Well, both of them do. I mean, combined. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to. I bought. I just bought American Graffiti on vinyl. I was trying to find it because I'm really into old records. You know, like yeah. not old records. I mean, like literal record. Like not buying old copies. Like going to you know shows and trying to find original press. Oh and yeah. Stuff. And so there's a lot of people just like you. I go to estate sales. And you record guys, you fight, you elbow each other out of the way. <laughs> it's vicious. You re record collectors are vicious when it comes to a box of LPs. Old records, it might be scratched yeah. up anyway. Oh my God, I've watched you. I love going to, I love more than estate sales. I love going to like old, going to used record stores. Because it's yes. like, I, I miss- Stand there for hours <laughs> I, do, I just miss like being surrounded by things and yeah and, and I, I watch you guys you stand there and flip through I mean for hours you're just like there stuck flipping through boxes and boxes every once in a while you'll find a nugget oh yeah oh yeah there's always a little there's always nugget there. there worth something always in the dollar bin always has a, some kind of gem in there panning for treasure <laughs> <laughs> I do have one question on a different movie, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Oh, yes. Which is uh, the movie you did with David Bowie. Oh. It was funny. Yeah. Like, I, it was funny. I, I was watching it. I must have never seen a movie where Rip Torn was young. <laughs> it was like, oh, yes. Because I'm like, it took me a minute. I'm like, is that Rip Torn? And then, of course, you know, he's a... his voice is... Uh, he was even younger in previous movies that he did. Oh, yeah, yeah. This was when he was kind of middle-aged. <laughs> I know, but I, like, I'm used to him from like Men in Black and Get Larry Sanders yeah. and Rip. Dodgeball. And I was just like, so I did a, just one question because I know you've been kind enough to spend this much time with me. My one question is, were you actually carrying <laughs> David? Oh, <Bowie? laughs> well, I thought I could because he was, you know, at that time I was in the gym a lot and I had some, you know, pretty good muscles in my arms and legs. And then I thought, yeah, he looks skinny. He looks light. Yeah, I can do this. <laughs> and, and so I crouch, bend down, and I try to lift him. He's just dead weight. Supposed to be pretending that he's passed out. So it was impossible. I tried like two or three different times. I couldn't even get him an inch off the ground. They rigged up. I remember it being like a skateboard with a pole with a bicycle seat. <laughs> And he's balanced on this. But my brother said, no, they on the camera, they had some sort of forklift thing and they lifted him up that way. So there's two different versions of what really happened. 
my job was just to keep his legs pinched up and his back pinched up. And he's supposed to be kind of passed out. So to keep him in frame so his feet wouldn't be out of frame or his head wouldn't be out of frame, I had to keep him squeezed pretty tight and then get him to the bed and slide him in the bed. So it was all done with, you know, lifting devices, but it all had to be spontaneously thought up because I was for sure that I could, no problem, I can lift this guy. Then we had to quickly (laughs) rethink and get him there on a skateboard and forklift thing. (laughs) You don't ever see those things. It looks like I'm doing it, but it was, you know, hard to walk down the hall. If you notice, I look a little bow-legged because there's a pole in between my legs. <laughs> anyway, it was fun. Every bit of that film was fun to do and also a challenge. What is just the one great memory you have, just to wrap everything up, of David Bowie? What I really liked about him, we had a lot of scenes together and a lot of dialogue. And the dialogue was really good, written by Paul Myersberg, taken from a book called The Man Who Fell to Earth. I just like the way he didn't mind running lines and, you know, running the scene over and over. And a lot of actors don't like to do that. And it really helps me to memorize when I hear it over and over and do it by rote, you know, memory. Mm -hmm. And because I'm not a quick study. I, like I said, I was a poor student (laughs) and I don't like to study. I attribute his not minding rehearsals to his music career because every time they change towns and go to a new venue they have to go check out the stage play some music that they've done a million and one times and think nothing of it so what i remember about david was his great worth work ethic and he was really valuable to me you know so we could get the dialogue word perfect period for period dot for dot you know, when you have a great script, you know, you want to respect the the work of the writer. Well, I can't thank you enough for sharing all these memories with me. It was so great to hang out with you. Yeah, it was fun. And your questions were very, very good. Oh, thank you, Candy. Oh. You're the sweetest. Thank you. Oh, am I? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> actual are. sweetest, the sweetest? The sweetest ever. Ever. That's why your name's Candy. Thank you so much. Well, you are so welcome. All right. How fun was that? How awesome is Candy Clark? She's the awesomest. Everyone, if you haven't in a while, it's time to check out American Graffiti again. Time to watch The Man Who Fell to Earth. And then also watch more American Graffiti. And then let me know on Twitter what you thought of it. I really enjoyed it. Watch everything again and tell me what you thought. Report back. And you know what time it is now, though, everybody? It's time for the hashtag roundup trend of the week. That's right. This is where we pick a hashtag from one of those amazing games from hashtag roundup. The hashtag roundup app is totally free. Just search hashtag roundup on Apple, iTunes, or Google and play along with us every day. Also, follow us on Twitter at hashtag roundup. 
There's games all throughout the day, every day. You'll never be bored on Twitter. All right, all right. This week's hashtag is a good one. Hashtag automobile a movie quote. That's right. We're taking the American Graffiti movie, the car theme from the movie, mashing it together, and we end up with the amazing game from Fresh Coast Tags. Hashtag automobile a movie quote. And don't forget, all the tweets I'm about to read will be retweeted at Jeff Dwoskin Show on Twitter and in the show notes so find them retweet them show them some love and don't forget to get the hashtag roundup app play along and in the future one of your hashtags may end up on the jeff dewaskin show all right here we go hashtag automobile a movie quote they may take our lives but they'll never take our freeways may the porsche be with you i'll make him an oldsmobile he can't refuse don't feed any amc gremlins after midnight these are some excellent hashtag automobile a movie quotes. All right, here's one. Toyota, I've got a feeling we're not in Lexus anymore. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a Trans Am. You can't handle the Tesla. Get to the Charger. Volvos, where we're going. We don't need Volvos. Merge or merge not, there is no try. Hello, my name is Inigo Toyota. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Merry Christmas, you filthy automobile. On Wednesdays, we wear Pinto. Are you talking to Miata? Are you talking to Miata? Are you talking to Miata? <laughs> Rosebud, Rosebud. With great horsepower comes great responsibility. Mama always said life is like a Ford transmission. You never know when it's going to give out. And finally, one more trip to Gone with the Wind. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a Datsun. All right, those were some awesome hashtag automobile movie quotes. And thanks again for having fun with us this episode. This has been episode 39 with the amazing Candy Clark. Can't thank you guys enough for coming back each and every week. Don't forget to subscribe, like, tell your friends, and we're going to see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.